Welcome back to the Liga Talks podcast. Today it's myself and Carla. And instead of going through the results and the games, we wanted to try a kind of different topic, um, a discussion. And today's topic is players who've played out of position or have been asked to play in another position by their manager. And Carla, why are we discussing it this week? If you guys watched Atletico de Madrid against Las Palmas at the weekend, you may have realised that Marcos Llorente was Atletico de Madrid's uh, striker playing up front with Ángel Correa. It was, a, it was a strange one to see. We've seen Llorente all over the place this season, from wing-back to centre-mid, to playing in the midfield uh, behind the strikers, but we've never seen him as an out-and-out striker. So we thought, why not? Uh, let's talk about players who have been out of position this season or in previous seasons in La Liga. Yeah, so, I mean, when I saw the team sheet on Saturday morning, well, just before the game, first game of the day, I was like, what was going on here? Like, five at the back, you know, is the normal formation, but Llorente playing up front, I thought it might have been, like, some misunderstanding between the graphic design team and, like, Simeone, but it worked really well. It did. I was actually at the game, and I, I was wondering what it would what it would be like to see Llorente up front. Uh, I know we've seen him kind of score goals. If anyone remembers that Liverpool game in the Champions League just before COVID hit, he scored a brace there, although he wasn't really playing as a as a forward in that game. Simeone must see something in him in training that obviously we're not seeing. He's got the pace. He leaves his man behind very well. Uh, he has a good connection also with the midfielders on his team, the wing-backs. So obviously Simona tried this. Memphis was on the bench and he came off the bench, but I think Simona is trying to kind of reserve him, knowing the the injuries that he's had this season for the tough part of the season now that's coming up. And Morata obviously was unavailable after his injury in Sevilla. So I mean, Las Palmas at home was probably the best moment Simona could try, and it, it worked well. Yeah, it did work very well. Well, we already know Llorente has an eye for goal. I mean. When you think about players as goal scorers, usually they need to be playing in the position as a striker to get more opportunities. But he scored the equaliser against Real Madrid. And, you know, he's got good positional sense. And he definitely is a finisher. Um, and his pace and his desire to get to the ball are all characteristics that help a striker. So I really like what Simeone has done because it's, it's a real surprise. But... Players like Llorente are possibly some of the most valuable players you can have in a squad. You know, he's played multiple positions for Atleti, midfield, right back, right mid, and now up front. So, yeah, I mean, it's a dream for any manager to have a player of such quality and a player who can change his position so much. I agree. I think what you said about desire, the guy just doesn't give up. It doesn't matter where he's playing. I'm sure you could put him in goal and he'd still do a good enough job. But anyway, uh, what other players have you got in mind when thinking of position swaps? Well, when I'm thinking about players who've played in La Liga who've changed position over their career, not always, it hasn't always happened when they were at a La Liga club. But a player who really jumped into my head was Gareth Bale. When he was a youngster, he was a left-back, of course. He had incredible pace um, and he... But he wasn't always the best defender. Um, but he always had good pace, good strength. And at 16 years old, he made his debut for Southampton at left-back. Eventually, he moved to Spurs. And, and the manager at the time, Harry Redknapp, moved him to left-wing. And a game we definitely won't forget. 
is his hat-trick against Inter Milan in the Champions League in 2010, which really changed Bale's career. From there, he began to be one of the best players in the Premier League and eventually got that move to Real Madrid, where he became left winger. Kind of, he could play on both sides. It was that famous BBC partnership, uh, Benzema, Bale and Cristiano. Like, where, where would you say Bale played most at Real Madrid, Kyle? Um, I would say probably on the right wing. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it was very hard to take Cristiano's place. He was always on that left wing. But, uh, I mean, he signed as a, as a winger already uh, for Real Madrid, which is, like, the only position I can naturally see him in now. Like, it, it just doesn't fit for me that he would ever have been a, a full-back. Um, but, I mean, yeah, that, that Inter Milan game that he played, I mean, the highlights, I don't know how many times I've watched them. It's honestly an incredible game and honestly it was something that he probably needed in his career to, to move forward. Yeah, I mean, he played centrally as well for Spurs, but at Real Madrid, he was, he was incredible, to be honest. He scored 78 goals in only 75 starts in his first two seasons for Real Madrid. And obviously, he, he stepped up in big moments. He scored goals in finals and he won La Liga three times. Um, so yeah, Bale is just one where, you know, a left back to transition into a left winger, you know, to, he had such a good shot, such good power. Um, yeah, one that stuck out for me was Gareth Bale, the transition to left, from left back to left wing. Who's next on your list, Carla? Uh, I've got one that I think, at least in my head, is quite obvious, which is Sergio Roberto. He was obviously a central midfielder. Uh, he came up with the Barca ranks as in that position. But Luis Enrique did see something in him. And I actually read that it was that he thought he was a very intelligent player. And not only player, but also person. And that he could easily slot into that right-back uh, position. So Tabi did ask the Barca board to not go out onto the market and look for a, a new right-back. And Sergio Roberto would actually be going into that position um, going into the new season when he, he made that conversion. So, yeah, I mean, we've seen him play almost 200 games as uh, right back, which is nearly the same amount of games he's actually played in the midfield. Now he doesn't get as much playing time with Koundé, obviously playing right back as well, Cancelo. But, I mean, he really, he really took that in his stride and kind of... Yeah, he's an interesting player because he, in midfield, he actually offers a lot in attack. Oh yeah, he's one of those players who... He actually reminds me a bit of Llorente. Just that, like, engine. Good technically. Um, but yeah, another versatile player who's been deployed in, in multiple positions for Barcelona. But as you say, like, as a youth player, he would have been mostly a central midfielder. And then he was transitioned to a right-back. So, yeah, that's a good one. I actually kind of... I only really see him as a right-back now. I always forget that he plays centre mid too. Um, and another Barca player who changed position was Javier Mascherano. So, you know, when we think of that brilliant Pep Guardiola, um, when we think of that brilliant Pep Guardiola Barcelona team, we would picture Javier Mascherano as a centre back. But before then, when he was at, he was at multiple clubs before Barca: River Plate, Corinthians, West Ham, Liverpool. He was a central defensive midfielder. Um, and when he came to Barca, obviously he was up against possibly the greatest midfield we've ever seen in the history of football. Xavi, Iniesta, 
Xavi, Iniesta and Busquets. So it was always going to be difficult for him to fit into that team. Um, and actually in his first few months at Barca, he struggled for game time. And even when he did play, he didn't really impress. And that famous Barca team, they played mostly possession. They played possession-based football. So his role at his previous clubs was so different because as a central defensive midfielder, he was more about being a defender instead of Busquets who just gets the ball, keeps the game ticking over. And, and why did he transition to a centre-back? Well, in his first season, Barca had a bit of a crisis in defence. Carlos Puyol got injured. Eric Abidal obviously got sick. And also, Gabi Melito had injuries. So Pep had a decision to make. He had two central defensive midfielders, Busquets and Javier Mascherano. Which one was he going to deploy at centre-back? It ended up being Mascherano. He played his first game at centre-back for Barcelona against Almeria in the Camp Nou. And after that, it was just his position. Um, and he played it really well. Um, yeah, what did you make of, of Javier Mascherano in that position? Yeah, this is a funny one because I do think that I was actually going to ask you a question if you think it's easier for a CDM to kind of slot into a centre-back position or a centre-back to move to the CDM position because we've seen it now with uh, Christensen, that Tavi's done it. I've always thought that Eddie Garcia would play well in that role as well. I thought he may have been Busquets' replacement. Uh, Rodri, we've seen, has played as centre-back with Spain. So yeah, I mean, Bus uh, I mean, Mascherano, sorry, had I think he did very well. I think he, if it was between sitting Busquets on the bench or playing him at centre-back. I mean, it was an obvious choice. And as you said, uh, Barcelona were having a lot of difficulty with that position. So honestly, I think it, it really worked well. Yeah, it worked perfectly. And, and you know, Pep turned him into a ball. He was always good, good on the ball, but as a ball-playing centre-back in behind Busquets and Xavi and Iniesta, you know, the possession stats were off the charts for Barca. So yeah, it was a really good move on, on Pep's behalf instead of changing two positions to put Busquets at centre-back and bring Mascherano in. He only had to change one. And yeah, after Mascherano made his debut at centre-back for Barca, he was kind of there for the rest of his Barcelona career. Um, so yeah, he went on to win loads for that Barca team, of course. Um, he won La Liga five times. Okay, any other mentions, Carla, that you've been thinking of? Um, I think Sergio Ramos is definitely up there. He obviously played as a right-back at the beginning of, of his career. Also with the Spanish national team, he played there and then moved into a, a centre-back role at Real Madrid. Um, yeah, he was actually quite an attacking player in, his, in the early parts of his, his career, an attacking right-back. But, I mean, it's amazing how good he became. I agree. As a defender, he never as an really lost that attacking fire. Unfortunately, as a Lady fan, I can attest to that. Yeah. Uh, always, always dangerous from corners. Always, always. Still is to this day. Scored one for Sevilla a couple of weeks ago. Um, other players that you can think of, Oli? One player that I always think of when I think of players who've played out of position, this was definitely not a choice. He was forced to do this, but Lucas Ocampos in that famous game against Ibar where he scored. This is a crazy game. Lucas Ocampos scored in the 56th minute. Then in the last minute uh, of stoppage time, 
Sevilla's keeper at the time, Thomas Vaklik, got injured. And then Ocampos went in goals. Ibar got a corner. The Ibar keeper went up and Ocampos saved a shot from the opposition keeper to win Sevilla the game. I mean, I just... I've, that clip always pops up on my timeline every now and then. It's just, like, hilarious. You know what's funny there, actually? I was just going to mention the goalkeeper that actually took that shot against Ocampos. As you said, this is probably not making sense to many of you listeners right now. But the goalkeeper who took the shot against Ocampos was Dimitrovic, which was the Eibar goalkeeper. And I was actually thinking of it for the position changes um, of him scoring a penalty, which is so random, against Atletico de Madrid. Uh, basically, Atleti were playing in Iburua, which is Ewar Stadium, and they got a penalty. And for some reason, I think it was actually because of this goal that he missed in the Sanchez Pijuan oh. that he really wanted to score. And uh, his teammates had promised him he could take a penalty the following season when they had one. And that was exactly what happened. He stepped up against Jano Black to take a penalty and scored it, which for me was the most random thing I've was that, seen. That was in La Liga? Yeah, it was in La Liga. It's like one of the most random things I've seen, a keeper just taking a penalty against a keeper in the middle of a game. To finish off, I think this season, due to injuries, Real Madrid have been forced to play some players out of position. Most notably, probably Chumeni. Yeah, Camavinga been... too has also had a game left-back. Yeah, Camavinga's been playing left-back. Chumeni's been in centre-back due to the injury crisis at Real Madrid. Carvajal's also been asked to play centrally. So it is something that, you know, in football teams, it has to be done at times due to injuries, due to absentees. So it's always important to have versatile players in your squad who can be deployed in different positions. But uh, yeah, that was kind of our little roundup, our talking point this week. Um, make sure you leave a comment on Spotify of any players that come to your mind when you think of players whose position has evolved or players who've been forced to play in a new position. But um, yeah, now it's time for the interview, Carla. Yeah, uh, Luke had the pleasure of speaking to Jamie Easton, which is one of the presenters and hosts of La Liga TV. So we really hope you enjoy this interview as we're sure Luke enjoyed recording. Um, And as always, stay tuned for what's coming up. Obviously, we're all aware of your brilliant work with La Liga TV. Um, what's it like to work with La Liga TV and um, the brilliant colleagues that you work alongside? It's fun, and, and that's the main point. When, when I come to work every day, I just remember who I work with. So, and we all get along. It, it's it, what you see or what I expect you see uh, from home and from, from wherever you watch. The, the, the good vibes we have between us, that's, that's all real. We, we just... Uh, watch the games together, uh, if there's a short pause or we go and have a coffee together outside and we just keep discussing not only what's going on on the games but uh, of our personal life. So I think that's, that's one, of the key, one of the key points to understand why we have that nice atmosphere inside, yeah. inside the studio between yeah. pundits, between former players, former managers, uh, journalists, uh, reporters outside. We have more reporters this season. We have... Uh, Carlos Ponte in Barcelona, we have Bruno Bergarich in Madrid, we have Eugenia Caroli who goes around the country and does those magic reports. So I think we have a, a great team and we all get along. I couldn't say a bad word of, of anyone, to be honest, even if I wanted to. One of the most important things. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> one of the most important things, right, in working a team, and that's 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 great stuff to hear that you have such a, a nice time with your colleagues. That's that's brilliant. I stuff. think we, we we should be aware that our job is not um, only to explain what's happening or to even our former managers or players to teach our viewers how to understand some 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 part of the game. We need to entertain. And we are here to entertain. So people go to their home to watch their favorite team play. They don't want to see people upset, argue, which is, some people do that. But we, I think we, we need to entertain them. We need to put a smile in their face. Obviously, if their team loses, they won't be smiling. They will yeah. be absolutely upset, but not with us. Absolutely. <laughs> and it, it looks like you're doing a great job from what we can see having met you and your colleagues. So that's, that's brilliant stuff. Um, so you talked about entertaining there. Who would you say is the biggest entertainer in the La Liga TV team? Who is, who is the biggest personality? To be honest, I, I, I love um, being in studio and suddenly Andrea Orlandi appears. He's always with a smile. Sometimes he brings churros uh, to the studio. Not eating at the studio, but he brings the churros, <laughs> not for us, for the, all the operators behind the cameras and, oh, the, wow. and, the, and the people that are in charge of the sound, because there's a lot of people working behind the cameras. So we have to be aware that without them, this wouldn't be possible. And there's a lot. So just see Andrea with that bag of churros. For those people, I always say, Andrea, come on, give me one, right? At least <laughs> give me one and some chocolate. But, but it's, it's good. And, and he's always funny. He's always in a good mood. And sometimes when, when, when not the atmosphere is down or when you've been here for eight hours, sometimes it's like, okay, I need a break or I need to go out for some air. Just seeing Andrea and his... I don't know, his attitude is, is like, it's like wonderful. But luckily, again, Xavi Ferrer is just funny too. Um, we have a lot of, of, of really joyful pundits here. Uh, trying to find someone who isn't that funny. Sometimes Graham Hunter is a bit grumpy. <laughs> <laughs> but he's brilliant even being grumpy. So I just like to get under his skin sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a good crack, I bet. <laughs> Perfect. So as, as you know, um, as, our, as our followers be aware, um, part of the podcast is we want to find out more about you as a person. Okay. And the experiences have led you to what you're doing today, the amazing work that you're doing today. So I want to rewind a little. Um, firstly, could you tell me a little bit about how you made it into the football industry? Okay, I'm originally from Menorca, which is a really small island in the Mediterranean Sea. It's like the small brother of Mallorca. And I came to Barcelona to study um, because you have to go or to Barcelona or to Madrid. Being in Menorca, there's, there's no other chance. Well, some people go to Mallorca, but I wanted to change one island for another. So I wanted a different, a different take. So I came to Barcelona. I studied um, a degree that in Spain is called audiovisual communication. Uh -huh. I don't know if that exists in other countries or it probably has a different name. But it's more or less first two years like journalism and then you just go and touch different things. You touch cinema, publicity, radio, um, while journalism is quite more focused on something. So basically, to be honest, I didn't know what to do. Um, my first job was precisely in Menorca with the local TV there. So I started there um, in an internship and then they wanted to sign me. But I was tired about doing news about local cheese and cows and <laughs> beaches. So I said, wait a minute, let's do a, a master's degree or something. So I went back to Barcelona, did the master's degree and started to 
ask for jobs. And I ended first job uh, related to sports. And from there, I heard from uh, NOFA to be the correspondent in Spain for being sports United States. So I applied and they hired me and I think it was there like for seven seasons. So, and then I came to, to La Liga TV. Um, so I think it's been like the 11, last 11 or 12 seasons covering La Liga in Spain. So wow. basically it's, it's, it's a lot of time, but it's, it's really helped me a lot too from working in La Liga from different perspectives as a, as a journalist, as a reporter on site, now as a presenter. So it's been a nice evolution. And some people ask me, what, what did you prefer when you were at the stadiums being a pitch reporter and doing some reports and, yeah. or now in studio presenting? I just enjoy both, to be honest. And, and, I, and I don't know what to choose or when to choose. What I do miss now being a presenter, for example, is not being able to travel, which is one of my favorite things in life, and go to Seville and have a tapa and go to Vigo and have a piece of octopus. I, I, I love that and I miss that, yeah. Perfect. Well, I'm, I'm sure it's not so bad, though, the life, no, the day in the life it's of not Jamie Easton. What, <laughs> so the, you've told us a bit, a bit of your journey there, really interesting stuff. What, what would you say, a sort of, what happens in your day-to-day life now? What would a, an average day look like? In it's a pretty normal life, to be honest. Um, I wake up, I have breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think that all, all the journalists I know, or at least those who work here even if it's your day off you just grab your phone and take a look at what's happening that day because you're it's it's like a professional thing you need to stay focused oh this this has happened and this would be interesting so you just grab your ipad or whatever take notes for this is something that we need to discuss on our wednesday show or on saturday and you just it's constant but 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 we just we just like it it's what we've chosen and people think well that's that's a uh, not an easy job, but a comfortable job. You know, you are on air on Wednesday evening and then you don't do anything else until Saturday or Sunday. Well, it's not like that. You prepare during the week, the whole week. There's a lot of preparation, not only from you, from all the journalists we have upstairs with, with our editors, with our producers. It's constant meetings, discussing what we need to talk about. This is more important. This is not as important. Probably something, some, sometimes we're wrong, but we need to, and, and we need to understand one thing because there's a lot of people always asking the question, um, why didn't you talk about this and that? And, and, and it's obviously always stuff about Real Madrid and Barca, mm-hmm. which are the two great clubs. And, and if you take a look at journalism in Spain, and when you see, wait a minute, I'm going to switch on the TV and watch the news or watch the sports show. Well, they shouldn't call themselves a sports show. They should call themselves Barca Madrid show because it's the only thing you watch. So what makes us unique is that we need, and I think it's really interesting to talk about 20 clubs. And we need to treat 20 clubs as they deserve because they are members of one of the best leagues in the world. Absolutely. So I think that makes us unique. And I think that a lot of viewers, a lot of our viewers value that from everywhere in the world because we get some feedback on social networks and, and they say, wow, that's a wonderful story from Maravés or that's, that, that was brilliant from Granada, very interesting, what's happening in Girona? Because Absolutely. if you don't talk about those things, like it happens in a lot of shows in Spain, suddenly a team like Girona wins seven games in a row, suddenly, whoa, 
this comes from nowhere. Yeah, absolutely. No, I don't have any background. How did this happen? <laughs> you know, well, watch La Liga TV. <laughs> Perfect. So you, you told me a little bit there about maybe um, one of your average days, your usual days. What do you do then when, when there's a big game on the horizon? When, what do you do to prepare for that day? Because that's, that's got to be a lot of pressure, right? It's pressure, it's nerves, and, but, but, but we just love those games. So when a big game comes, like it could be obviously a Madrid derby, it could be a Seville derby, it could be a Bass derby, obviously it could be a Clásico. And when one of those games arrive, you, the thing is that you've been preparing yourself during the whole week. When that day arrives, if you keep like, trying to find out new things and keep preparing and keep studying and you just add nerves. Yeah. So you've done your preparation, yeah. you're prepared. So you just go on air and try what I said before, to have fun, to interact. And what I really like to do is usually those games, if I'm the one in the stadium like presenting and I have a former player and a former manager, it's them, the football experts. I just need to distribute the play. but. It's not my job to give an opinion or to... I could, and I sometimes do, but I, I just don't feel comfortable being or trying to be the protagonist in that moment or the leading role, because that's why we have our legends beside us. So, sure, sure. Um, and, and, and I think that the, the day just goes so quick you don't realize you do even if it's the 9 p.m game and we you start doing the first preview show at 1 p.m you start doing the show and suddenly when the show's i think nearly over 10 to 2 p.m when the first game of of the day starts then you need to do something else because what, what what's difficult in those days is then your rhythm goes down and then you appear on half time and then there's a Another down, and then you there's a preview show, and then half time. So you need. I, I honestly would prefer to do a ten hour live show, <laughs> <laughs> not to go on those breaks because those breaks is when your body, without knowing that, just just the rhythm goes down. So the stamina goes down too. And you say, oh, I wish I was like, oh, I wish I had said that before. You know, yeah. pre oh, I have to say yeah. that in our next. There's no time because you just keep discussing different things. But it's, it's fascinating. Those days are really fascinating. That's why we are in this, in this, in this business, aren't Absolutely. we? Absolutely. I can see from what you're saying there, the, the exact preparation some, is one of your most important skills then. Would you agree that, that preparation yeah, for I, shows? For example, um, since I finished the, the show I'm presenting on Wednesdays, which is our debate, our, uh, our weekly debate, um, I come to, to work on Thursdays and Fridays, and it's the whole day preparing stuff. What preparing means? Um, first, to touch base with every single of our 10 games of the weekend and then to analyze the situation for each of the 20 teams. Uh, who is suspended? Who is injured? Why is he injured? Um, any special new things regarding the last weekend? Obviously, how these teams head into this game after a 3-0 terrible defeat or after crushing their rivals 4-0 in the last game. And then a bit of history. What's the history behind this game? Where is it played? Yeah. Um, because Spain is not a big country if you take a look at the map of the world. But considering Europe, it is a big country and yeah. people sometimes don't know it. And there's so many differences between North, South, East, West in terms of um, culture, history, even language, uh, food. 
I, and I think it adds value to know that stuff and absolutely, to explain, absolutely. well, let's head to Seville. Wait a minute, it's 35 degrees Celsius and that's why we have cooling breaks in Spain and all that kind of stuff. So you need to, you need to know the country, you need to understand football and you need to uh, know how, how teams are heading to, into every single game. Agreed, yeah, absolutely. And um, in terms, of, we, we spoke a little bit about what you do to prepare for big games. Mm-hmm. Have you got a, a memory from maybe a favourite big game that you've, you've uh, worked on in La Liga? Uh, a few. I've, I've covered a few games. <laughs> <laughs> what a favourite memory. Um, in, terms of, in terms of, for example, what a Clásico means. I remember one of my first Clásicos when working as a correspondent uh, for Bean Sports US. It was a Clásico in Madrid and I think Madrid were the clear favourites and Barcelona were just struggling a bit. I think it was the year with Tata Martino mm-hmm. as a manager. And Barca went and, went and won 4-3, I think. And I was <laughs> at the game watching uh, because back then I, I wasn't doing uh, pitch reporting. Uh, I was just doing preview and post show, and I watched the game from uh, I think it was the third tier of, of the stands in, in, in the Bernabeu. I said, "Wait a minute! You can watch football from a great position from here because when you're pitch side, and people believe, look, Jamie's at the stadium, uh, he can explain what's going on. You don't see anything, and and you feel like a manager. Wait a minute! Does he have to understand where players are playing? And and the view you have is like." 22 players, 44 legs. <laughs> you don't understand anything. When you go upstairs and you see football, say, wait a minute, now I understand what's the formation here and how the, the, the movements work. But, but yeah, but to be honest, in La Liga, the, the best atmosphere I've experienced, without a doubt, would be the Seville derby, which is probably, in my opinion, the most, derby, derby. the most passionate derby in the world. Yeah. Or the one I've witnessed. Um, for sure in Spain and I really liked the atmosphere in the Basque derby too because there's, 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 there's uh, a real passion for both teams from their own fans but then you go to the street and they get along and they are just drinking and singing together so it's something that's not imaginable in Seville or Madrid or Barcelona or many other leagues around the world or many add. other leagues yeah, so, so I think that that harmony between two teams that they don't hate each other, but they always want the other one to lose. So it's a real derby. But then you see those, those amazing images outside. And, and, and to be honest, we've, we've, we've experienced a huge improvement in the atmosphere in stadiums in Spain. Because I remember a few years ago, there were more stadiums with tracks. Mm-hmm. For example, Real Sociedad. And the, 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 the atmosphere... Uh, the Real Arena, without the tracks, it's like a new stadium, and the same will happen. Incredible in, atmosphere that stadium. The Incredible. same will happen in Mallorca without the tracks. The same will happen with Almeria once they renew their stadium. So it will be interesting, and and, and uh, it's it's one of those questions, and I've been asked that question before. What do you remember? I don't know. I'm terrible in terms of memory. <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely. It's just too terrible. many good memories. I'm absolutely terrible. <laughs> Terrible. I could explain some funny things, but they aren't funny for me because one of my first experiences 
when being a reporter, I was so nervous that I went to to eat at the restaurant. I think it was yeah near the Camnal, and I just stained myself completely. Like oh, thirty no. minutes before a live hit, so I had to. I, I I panicked. So I asked for a car. I went home, grabbed a new shirt, returned, <laughs> and I arrived like two minutes before the live hit, and I was sweating, nervous. And I, I think I could only talk about the grass condition and how, <laughs> how the pitch looked. I don't even remember that connection. But did it go okay in the end? It went okay, and I, uh, and I, and I called my producer. In, she was in Miami. I said, what the f- what was that? What was that? What was that? I said, don't, don't ask. Well, this might, this might have answered my next question already for me. Then I was going to ask what your, what your biggest achievement in your career was to date. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it was that. <laughs> yeah, probably was that. Well, um, I started like... Um, um, being at a building, like writing from the building to go actually to the stadiums in every single stadium in Spain. Then I went to Chile to cover Copa America, which was fascinating because I was the sort of the reporter giving like some color uh, to understand the country. So they sent me by car from Santiago de Chile to uh, Antofagasta, which is crossing the Atacama Desert, which is a very long desert. It was like 16 hours on a, wow. Wow. On a car. But I did report on the desert. It was, it was really, really, really interesting. And then they sent me to Moscow to, to cover the, the 2018 World Cup in Russia. Uh, and that was great too. But I really enjoy... The, the, the thing is, when you present in studio, we, you interact with so many people and you socialize with so many former players and former managers and everybody has their own anecdotes. And, and I think it's probably the best time in my life right now. Sure, sure, absolutely. Um, so one of the last things I wanted to, to ask you really um, was about um, there'll, be, there'll be so many people who will be so envious of your role, all the, all the cool things you get to do around football, the, the industry that most people want to work in, right? Have you got uh, any words of advice for somebody who would, who would want to make it in the industry? Okay, Main, I, I, I get asked that question a lot because some of the, for example, my mum's friends, oh, they, they, they just stop me in the street. What, what can you recommend for Javi, my son, who wants to study journalism? I said, it has to be really, 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 really what he wants. You really need to love your job because if you're in it for the money, forget about it. <laughs> you need to love your job. So you really need, you, you need to be passionate about this because if you you aren't passionate people at home will tell you really need to have fun you really need to love your job you really need to uh work a lot of hours you need to you really need to understand that schedules and timetables are a paper but then if you are a journalist and and something happens uh, and it's shocking news and you are not working that day it's not like okay this this isn't for me this never happened. Well, it's not how it works. So if you are, you agree with those conditions, it's perfect. It's the job for you. Dedication, right? Dedication. Absolute dedication. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Jamie, for your time. It's been You're a welcome. pleasure to have you. We've been really looking forward to doing this one. So it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Good. Um, thanks. And we'll, we'll hope to speak again soon. Uh, of course. I'm really, really, really desiring to listen to the podcast. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> we have another listener. Perfect. Thank you so much. So without further ado, here's our exclusive La Liga Talks quickfire questions with Jamie Easton. Jamie, your favourite food? 
That's a complicated question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Living in Spain with all that uh, DNA. Um, I have a problem with food. I like everything. And I, and I love traveling and I love, I, lo I love the experience of trying new food experiences, new cuisine. Uh, but I'll, 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 I'll go for Spanish food and I'll go for um, a really nice tortilla. Oof, it has to have onion. It has to have onion. So if, <laughs> if you are a tortilla person and tell me tortilla with no onion, I won't speak to you it's, again. It's blasphemous almost, right? <laughs> I won't speak to you again. And it has to, it, 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 it hasn't, it, it, not dry tortilla, please. Well done, Maria no, 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 <laughs> not well done. If it's dry, I'll throw the tortilla. <laughs> Perfect. Okay? That's our deal. So I'm, I'm sure you don't get too much of it working in the industry as, as far paced as football, but favorite thing to do in your free time? Travel. As soon as I have holidays or an international break, I like to, to travel. If I can uh, internationally, if I can't, there's a brilliant country with different regions. So last time I went to Segovia to try the circling pig, <laughs> which was delicious too. Maybe I changed my favorite food now. <laughs> Perfect. So um, most important possession you own? Dear me, my phone, maybe. I don't own a house. I don't own a car. I don't own anything, I think. So probably I would say my phone. <laughs> Are you a night owl or a morning person? I'm more of a night owl. Because of work too, obviously. You have to we, be, right? You have yeah, to be. we have to be. Because when, when, when you end the shows, the post shows on, on the weekends, it's not like going home and falling asleep. You're all with that energy and you know, everything happening and your, your brain just keeps going and going and going. I said, okay, mate. Have a cup of tea and go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Favourite sport other than football? To play? Probably tennis, because those are the two sports I played as a, as a kid. To watch on TV? Uh, maybe I would change, because sometimes tennis games are too long. <laughs> <laughs> maybe basketball, I don't know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a typical sports person. But I really love to... I, I, I love to watch the Olympic Games because it's the only time in four years I watch some sort of sports, which I would never watch, but it's because it's the Olympics I watch them. Perfect. Um, your favorite film? Hmm. I only really liked The Schindler's List. I really liked La Vita Bella, um, but it's not only films about the Second World War, is it? So, um, what else? I'm more of a serious person, to be honest, right now, because I like like watching episodes, and if I'm fed up of watching episodes, I just stop. Film, three better, hours. A better question than film or series. You're a, you're a series man. Yeah, perfect. I'm a series man. Yeah. You mentioned earlier coffee, coffee or tea. Mm, my dad's English, so he will <laughs> probably hate me for this answer, but I'll say coffee because I'm Spanish. Ooh. <laughs> Perfect, perfect. So this, one, this one's a good question for you as, as a man who likes to travel. Your, your favourite holiday destination? Um, I went on a, on a journey through South America in, in summer. And I was one month in Peru, one month in Colombia. Peru, I expected what I saw because I, I, I knew about their history and their culture. It was fascinating. But Colombia was, was a surprise. It was a shocking surprise. I really loved it. In terms of landscape, Iceland. Thank you for your time once again, Jamie. You're welcome. A pleasure. So that's the end of this week's episode of the Liga Talks podcast. Thanks again so much to Jamie Easton for coming on and telling us his story. 
of his journey to working in football for La Liga TV and a bit of insight into his life as a La Liga TV presenter. Make sure you share this podcast with all your friends, leave a five-star review and tune in again for the next episode in two weeks' time. See ya.